Hello, guys. Uh, it's Courtney. This is episode two, segment one. And, um, this recording, or this episode, I realized that there was a lot of stuff that was not explained in the last episode. Um, this is a continuation of, uh, Diary of a Mad Widow. Um, like I said before, you know, quick summary. I started doing this because I want to help people going through the same kind of thing. I gave a little bit of a backstory about everything, but I was not very clear, I don't think. Um, something you guys need to understand is before my husband and I even started dating, we had, we were kind of drawn to each other, you know, we were spiritually, magnetically brought together, okay, it's the cleanest, clearest way I can begin to describe our relationship, um, it's like we had, even till the day he died, we had this connection. We, for whatever reason, we loved each other and didn't know why. We cared about each other. We didn't know why. And we didn't want to be with anybody else. Um, I didn't know why. I mean, it was, for whatever reason, we absolutely adored each other. You know? We had our really weird ways of showing it. Um, like, <laughs> Like he put it, you know, two puzzle pieces fit together, you know, his crazy matched, met, finished my crazy. I mean, one lesson. Um, so, the breakdown, you know, the mental and emotional breakdown was stronger than I even ever thought it could be. Uh, I knew it was going to be bad, but I had no idea that I was that connected to him like I was, to the point where I probably at some point should have been committed, you know, I lost my mind, I don't know where I'm going, I mean, I emotionally, I'm lost, uh, spiritually, because he's gone, I am lost. I am slowly finding my own way. I'm slowly getting more of an understanding of what he was going through. Mentally, physically, emotionally. And why there was a lot of things that he didn't do. That I really wish he would have done. So, some of it's helping me. But some of it's setting me back because I'm feeling insanely guilty for the things I said and I did. Because if I knew that what was going through his mind was to this extent, there would have been a lot of things, a lot of reactions, and a lot of things I said that I wouldn't have. And that's part of my guilt. That's part of my crazy. That's part of, you know, the way I've been is the fact that I now have a better 
and deeper understanding now as to what was going on with him. And it's like, it's making me mad at him all over again. That's the Mad Widow part. I am mad at him all over again for all of the things that he didn't say and he didn't do and all the communication that he left empty. If he would have communicated with me or at least tried to describe what he was feeling, what his brain was going through, I may not have understood in the deep levels that I do now but I would have had more of a sympathetic imagination to it because now I'm an empath you know I feel the torture I felt the anguish he was going through but it didn't sink into the deepest depths of my brain like it could have had he been more descriptive been more communicative I would have backed off of him about a lot of stuff if he had. And I'm I'm mad at myself for not trying to understand that a little more. I'm mad at him for not trying to get me to understand more. I'm the mad widow is like and later in the episode, you know, you'll get a better understanding of why I call it the mad widow. That's part of it. It's you go through all these emotions and all these thoughts. What could I have done to change it? What could I have done to make things better? What could I have done to maybe change his mind about wanting to let it go? To let go and not fight to stay alive and keep himself healthy for me and his daughter. You know? You go through all of that stuff. I did anything and everything I could to make his life happy. But it, there's a few points in our relationship I'm not proud of. But there are a few points in our relationship that I felt utterly lost and alone. And I felt despair because I felt like no matter what I did, it wasn't going to make his life happier. It wasn't going to change his mind. It wasn't going to get him to talk to God and edit his agreement that he had with him, you know, so that he would stick around, or at least make his life healthier, make his life better while he was here, you know, because he never told me what his agreement with God was, he always said that he was an open-minded atheist, which, to me, it's like, you can't be both. But, everybody knows, there's no atheists in foxholes. When crap hits the fan, you're going to pray <laughs> to God. You're going to want help. You're going to need help. So, to me, there's no such thing as a true atheist, Okay. All the education in the world isn't going to change the fact that there is something, regardless of what your belief is, what your understanding is, there is something out there, unknown, unseen to humankind, 
except for in our instincts and in our gut telling us what to and what not to do. To me, that gut feeling, that subconscious, don't do that, to me that's God in our head telling us, look, something isn't right here, stop, okay? And that very thing is what drew me to my husband. He and I got together as far as actually dating when I was 16, okay? I spent more than half of my life as a Haddon. I changed my last name on a legal documentation at a hospital first, which made us common law married when I was 17 because I felt like I was left behind. And he and I were talking and being friends off and on from the time I was 15. So here I am about to turn 41 in March. And I'm the age he was when he passed away. I will be the age he was when he passed away. And I'm scared. You know, I'm not ready to die. I'm not ready to go. I have too much unfinished business for him and for me before I can go. So, sorry about the beeps, guys. I have not figured out how to turn off those dang notifications for me to do this without the noise. So, I apologize. Um, anyway, that's something I needed to make sure you guys understood before I go any deeper into any of this, there's a lot of questions that go through your mind anyway. So, I've hit the 10 minute mark already. I've been trying to keep them down. But I'll come back in the next segment and I'll continue further. And uh, continue with the story about the hospital stuff. Um, anyway, still, uh, keep your chin up, guys. And... Uh, for now on, I'll just, I'm just going to say my name. I'm getting used to this. This is my first podcast type of thing. But from now on, I'll just I'll introduce myself in the first segment of each episode and then continue on. I was listening to my own podcast earlier to take notes to see what I might have missed. And even I got annoyed at hearing that every time I turn around. So, anyway, keep y'all's chin up. Try to keep smiling. And when you get help, pay it forward to someone else in need. So, alright, this is me signing off. Talk to y'all later. Bye. Hello guys, welcome back to Diary of Mad Woman. Episode 1, Segment 2. Um, just talking about my deep connection, spiritually, all that, in the last segment. Um... I really don't know how to describe it, honestly, because, like in the last episode, I mentioned, you know, going into the hospital, finding out that, you know, it doesn't look good for his brain function, but his body was functioning okay with the help of, you know, medicine and machines. I lost my mind at that point. That first week, up until that weekend, 
you know, that whole weekend, I was out of it, you know, because it didn't look good, he wasn't improving, he wasn't, you know, and that was from Thursday, when he went into the hospital, up until, you know, Friday, Saturday, so, my daughter, that Sunday before his heart attack, went to her grandma's house to spend a couple of weeks during the summer, like she usually does, and I ended up calling up my mom and saying, hey, you need to bring her back, she needs to come see your dad. Told her what was going on. She let Alyssa know that it's not good, he's sick, you know, brought her back up. They let her, originally they weren't gonna, but I said, look, this may be the last chance she gets to see your dad. So, whether you like it or not, we're going to put a mask on her and we're going to take her up there so she can see her dying father. And it tore me up. I mean, to see the look on her face, to see her go through that. The thought of it alone rips me apart. My little angel and her losing her father and... emotional torment she was going through because when she left she said she forgot to tell him to be careful and then take care of himself when she left and she's been feeling guilty about that ever since but anyway I forced the hospital to let her up there to go see him to say her goodbye and be ready for him to go. They uh, froze his brain to try to save it and try to get the function back and slowly brought his temperature back up and flushed something they did. I guess cleaned and flushed his kidneys and his liver and his, cleaned his heart and cleaned his lungs and, and got all these toxins and stuff out. Unknowing to me, you know, they were doing all this not to help him, but to try to get him prepared in case I said it was okay for them to donate his organ and tissue and everything, which he told me, you know, that week before he passed, before his heart attack, that he would be a tissue and organ donor. He's just not going to put it on his driver's license, so they'll still try to save him. Don't blame him. I've read reports. I've heard from people. So, um, anyway, they, they did all this. They brought his brain back up to temperature, got his body right, got him warmed up, but his brain was not regulating his temperature on its own when they brought him back up. His brain wasn't functioning like that, which is one of the first signs, apparently, that something is wrong. When you stop sweating, you stop getting chills, all that stuff. Um, uh, anyway, um, they brought it back up, and they told me, you know, no, no signs of, of him functioning on his own. He opens his eyes and he reacts, but all of that is done with your uh, brainstem. Your brainstem 
controls everything when you're sleeping, keeps everything going so that you can rest. And I did not make that connection though. I didn't, and I went a little crazy, of course. But later on, after calming down and everything, yeah, the brainstem controls everything that happens while you sleep. Keeps everything automatically breathing and pumping and reactions and nerves and, you know. So, I was like, what would he, this is the same stuff he does when he's sleeping. I'm sounding like an idiot because, you know, he, he was moving his head. He was coughing. Oddly, you know, that whole time before a heart attack, he wouldn't cough. Now he's coughing again. You know, and I'm like, so that's a good sign, right? The signals and the information from his dad going to see him and talking to the nurses and doctors and him having false hope. Well, hope, sorry, it's not false at the time, but. And then his sister having gone through nursing school, having gone through all of that stuff is the reason why I chose her to be able to go in there because she's also no nonsense type of person. She'll shoot it to you straight. She's not gonna try to feed you false hope saying, you know, yeah, he groaned today. He moved today. He, and to be honest, the nurses weren't either, not really, but they weren't being all that informative either. They didn't sit there and tell me, look, yes, he opens his eyes, but it's not controlled. He personally in his brain is not the one doing it. His brain stem opens his eyes to keep them moving, to keep them lubricated to, you know, those kind of things as a systems check kind of thing. I did not understand that then. I didn't understand any of it because they didn't explain it to me that way. It took me Google searching and looking at three or four different medical websites and combining all their information into a, to an average, basically, of information before I got that understanding. I, I guess, spiritually and emotionally, I was still fighting for him. Begging for God to change his mind. Begging for him to change his mind. And, again, like I said before, after all the research I did, there was nothing I could do from the point he collapsed until the point his body gave out from lack of nutrition, etc. And his brainstem dying off. There was nothing I could have done from that moment on to save him. He was gone the minute he hit the floor. He himself, his spirit, everything died that day. But, like I was telling him, I wanted to make sure that when I let him go, there was no way he was coming back. So I made sure they did a brain scan of him to see what his brain activity was like before I said, okay, let's take him off the feeding tubes, let's take him off the IVs, 
let him die peacefully. Because that's what he wanted me to do. And if he would have had those DNRs all over the house and actually set up in the hospitals in our general area, it would have kept me out of trouble from going to jail, from possibly killing my husband, etc. Them thinking I killed my husband. And his body would have passed here at the house. But I think God made it that way because of the fact that him being in the hospital and being the main breadwinner in the house, I was able to get me and my daughter on sooner care so that I could start getting myself fixed. My back, my eyes, my teeth, everything fixed so that I could go to school, get a job, and start taking care of us. But my health, because of our connection, went downhill so fast after he passed away. It was on its way to going downhill while he was in the hospital. So, there is a lot, okay, that I didn't know, I didn't understand, and I'll keep, you know, explaining stuff. But, um, keep getting into these conversations, getting so passionate, I forget to look at the time. But, I'm gonna let y'all go now, I'm gonna sign off for now, and I'll come back with the next segment, and continue with this, but I've already ran over my time, yet again, so I might as well tell you guys that it's probably gonna be a 12-15 minute segment from now on. But I'm trying to keep it down. Anyway, I'm gonna sign off, and I will talk to you guys here in a minute or so, with my next segment. Alright, talk to y'all later. Bye. Hello guys, welcome back to episode 2. This is now segment 3 of Diary of a Mad Woman. Um, I started to tell you guys about the hospital and how I was checking for brain function and things that were going on around here a little bit. I even gave you a backstory on how deeply spiritually connected that he and I were. And a reasoning for part of the reasoning for the mad widow part, you know. Sorry, mad widow, not mad woman. The woman is when I catch up to today's date. Uh, but the mad widow part of, you know, starting to understand everything he was feeling, doing, and going through, and then figuring out what his prayer was. He never told me what his his prayer was with God. He never told me what his uh, agreement with God was and everything. But he did tell me when he was younger he tried to commit suicide several times. And each and every time something went wrong. And he figured that... You know, there was a reason why he was still there. There was a reason why it didn't work. A reason why, you know, stuff jammed and broke and didn't work out. And that's when he said he did his prayer with God. He made an agreement with him about things. And with that little bit of information that I did get, and what he did tell me 
Uh, I figured out that, you know, he... Hey, welcome back, guys. Sorry, uh, I'm trying to do multitasking here. I'm trying to do laundry and everything else while I'm doing this. And I mentioned the fact that I think I figured out what his agreement with God was. Not 100% sure of that, but I, I think I figured it out. And that was that he wasn't going to stop his death. He wasn't going to do anything to stop it. He wasn't going to a doctor. He wasn't going to, you know, get anything fixed. You know, and later on, my daughter said one day that she thinks that he did secondhand suicide, which makes sense. Um, basically, you know, he didn't get his teeth checked on, he would not get physicals, he wouldn't, you know, go to the doctor and get anything he thinks is major taken care of, that kind of thing. So if it's going to cause him to die, it causes him to die. He isn't going to prevent anything. Anything. And when it was his time, it was his time. God would take him in his own time. He wasn't going to help it happen faster, but he wasn't going to stop it either. So he just kind of sat there, and whatever happened, happened, but he was going to live his life in the meantime. So, that's where I'm at, you know. I tried forever to get him to go to the doctor to get his broken foot taken care of. You know, when he was in the army, he was forced to get a abscess taken care of. He was forced to go to the doctor when he got into a PLS accident, even though they didn't do anything to help him with his back afterwards. They just took him to the doctor to get checked out and then dropped him off. You know, anybody who's familiar with the military, they gave him some ranger candy and sent him home. Uh, but when he got home, you know, from the military, he was done. Nothing. You know, if he went to the doctor, I never heard about it. I didn't know about it. I had no idea what was going on. Um... But he kept to himself that way. So, getting him to take care of himself was like literally pulling teeth out of an alligator's mouth. You might get a tooth, but there's no guarantee of what's going to happen to you afterwards. <laughs> well, it wasn't like that, like that, but you know, one of those things where it just wasn't going to happen, not really. So, there we are. I mean, here I doing the research and, and everything compiles to as crazy as I went, as out of my mind with grief and desperation and the way I treated people, what all I did, uh, I feel bad for. But if it apparently if it weren't for those reactions. I probably would have ended up hospitalized myself and then who's here to take care of my daughter so you know I feel bad but I had to do what I had to do you know I didn't do anything stupid I didn't kill anybody I didn't go after anybody with a knife I didn't do any of that but I mentally physically and emotionally went off the grid for a while so, that first year, 
well, I guess the first seven months after he passed away, I, I don't know. <laughs> I remember bits and pieces of not being able to walk. I remember bits and pieces of being in excruciating pain. I had bits and pieces of, you know, the migraines and having to take medication. And one time of sleepwalking. Had, I, I don't know, I thought it was a dream because, you know, when I'm awake, I'm hurting so bad I couldn't walk at all. But for some reason, when I thought I was dreaming, apparently I wasn't, I got up, ran for the first time in two, three years, down the stairs, in the rain, and tried to to break into my own car because I thought I saw someone sitting in the driver's seat. So, yeah, there's the, another reason for the Mad Widow part, you know. So, when you're that spiritually connected, when you're that bound to someone in a way that you only hear about in movies, your mind, body, spirit, soul, Everything goes off kilter. It goes completely off kilter. So, for him to be there like that, you know, I... And again, that's why I didn't mind having to back up a little bit and let his dad and his sister go in there, get the information, and send it out to various family members, you know? So, and it took me a few days, you know, they said, yeah, he, he's physically getting better, his kidney function's getting better, his lungs, his heart, his liver, everything that he thought should have, you know, fell out of his body by that point was clean and clear and healthy, like, even his lungs. To the point that it was like he never smoked a day in his life. Even though he was a pack and a half a day smoker. You know? And... Dang. His body basically in that first week got more water than he had ever... He probably drank in several years. Because he literally survived off of coffee. And people think I'm exaggerating. Three pots of coffee a day when he was home because he hardly slept. He smoked like a freight train because he hardly slept. I understand this now because I'm going through the same thing right now. I'm drinking more coffee than I have drank ever in my life since he's been gone. And he's getting more and more drinking of coffee every day. But I'm realizing this kind of stuff now, and I'm going to work on doing a complete and total cleanse of my organs with this diet that I am starting this week. I'm easing my way into it. But, yeah. Um, and watching his body clean itself, take care of itself. Get rid of all the toxins. Get rid of all of that stuff. Has inspired me to do this. I have just been waiting for a time when I could financially pull it off. 
in a time when I had the physical and emotional support in case I went through the withdrawals that I think I might go through. Which scares me, you know. I've kind of started it because of my smoking. I have gotten these things called tar bar, which will pulls all the tar and the crap out of your cigarette and stores it in this little mouthpiece thing so it doesn't go into your lungs. I have started that because the last time I quit smoking, my body trying to expel all of that, I puked like crazy when I tried to quit smoking. So I'm doing this to kind of to help ease all of that. And it inspired me. It, did, it inspired me to want to do this. So. A lot of good. A lot of positive. Not good. Positive things. Have come out from him going to the hospital. Versus just dying here in the house. And. I think God made a plan it that way. To make sure we were taken care of. Because of. Probably making it right with God before his heart attack fully hit. And, uh, I'm going off a little bit on the subject, but this is stuff that needs to be said while it's on my mind because of the situation. So, uh, with the, you know, Crazy stuff went on in the hospital when it came to trying to get information from his dad, trying to get information from his sister, trying to get an understanding, trying to talk to the nurses and the doctors, and a lot of stuff, you know, that I'm not going to get into happened before I finally got to step up and say, you know what, I'm his wife, I will take the information, I will set it out. My brain could was not ready to take that responsibility on right away. I had to basically let it sink in, get the understanding, get, you know, stop with the major denial, that kind of thing before I could step up. And when I did, it was at the right time. I go in on Monday, read some stuff off because all of our online friends, because of me being Lily Loco and doing the live feeds I did, were doing the online tributes for him and stuff like that. So here I am running over time again. I'll come back with the next segment and I'll continue with all of that and get a little bit of a backstory about that. But for right now anyway, uh, I gotta take care of laundry and I'll be back with the next segment here shortly. So, keep your chin up and keep moving forward just one day at a time. Love you guys. Talk to you later. Bye.